Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Happy Thanksgiving Sunday. My name is Jordan. I have cat-like reflexes, as you can tell, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Seoul, and it is my joy to be able to share with you from the scriptures this morning. Um, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, in, a, in acknowledgement of Thanksgiving weekend, maybe a little insight into, um, into what we do at Seoul. A part of my responsibilities here at the church uh, is to lead our staff team. And so I have the opportunity to uh, lead our, our team meetings every Tuesday morning. And we kick off those team meetings by going around and, and starting the meeting on the right foot. We express gratitude. We ask the question, what are you thankful for? And we go around the circle and we share wins from our week, things that are positive that have happened, things that are worth celebrating. Often team meetings come together at... <laughs> We've all been a part of some bad staff meetings, you know what I'm saying? You like bring the team together, you're like, nobody wants to be here. But we need to get those meetings off on the right foot, right? We need to celebrate. We need to, we need to recognize the good before we problem solve the bad. So uh, that, that's what we do. That's a part of our DNA as a staff team here at Seoul. But I want to maybe put that on you this morning. And I want us to join together. And I want us to start our meeting together here with a little bit of gratitude. So let me ask you, what are you thankful for? Grandchildren, let's go. What are you thankful for? Winnipeg, yo! Every ungrateful Winnipegger. Talk to her after. What are you thankful for? Soul Sanctuary, likewise. Healthcare system, yo. What else? Youth leaders, how cool is it? I watch these junior highs, like, run into the front row and sit, sit next to their leaders. I'm like, come on now. That's right. What else are you thankful for? Community. So much. Come on. I, hold on. I taught grade 9 Shakespeare for a year, right? I can, I can wait for a very long time until you give me an answer. What are you thankful for? The bombers! What was it? I heard it over here. Salvation! What else? Family! What else? Again? Hope! Pumpkin pie! Let's go! Yo, it was, my wife was like, that, that's the corn kid, but he's the pumpkin pie kid, right? And I was like, a truer word has never been spoken. Uh, it is a day to be thankful. And I mean, when we consider the holiday of Thanksgiving itself, I mean, especially in Canada and in the United States, there's a storied past of the, 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 the holiday of Thanksgiving. And, and I think recently we've done a lot of reflection on, on, on what Thanksgiving means, kind of on a cultural level and on a societal level. I'm not too interested in diving deep into the history of Thanksgiving as a day, but I surely am this morning interested in, in looking at what the scriptures have to say about Thanksgiving. But when we consider Thanksgiving as a day for a moment, for some of us, 
Thanksgiving is that time that we come around and we have pumpkin pie and a day off. And we're like, let's go. It's October. I need that pumpkin pie. I need that day off. Thanksgiving for some of us, you know, for some of us, we, we struggle with Thanksgiving. I mean, when we consider uh, the indigenous peoples of Canada and recently some of the work of reconciliation, Thanksgiving can harken back to colonial times and there can be uh, uh, memories of forced assimilation policies that are really hard to grip with. When we look into uh, our, our Nigerian community here at Seoul, I've learned from our Nigerians uh, that they have a tradition of giving thanks uh, in, in Thanksgiving services. When they come together in Thanksgiving services to celebrate celebratory milestones, and there's a lot of music and a lot of partying and a lot of giving, it's celebratory. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but Thanksgiving has always meant something important to the people of God. Thanksgiving has always been important for the people of God. When we look to the scriptures, we see that thanksgiving is commanded. Thanksgiving is not an option. Thanksgiving is an imperative. We see that in the, in the life of the, the people of Israel. As we go through the Old Testament, we come to, to see that God said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to give thanks. And here is how I want you to do it. And as we continue in the Old Testament, we arrive in the prophets. And the prophets give words of rebuke from the Lord to the people when the people are ungrateful and turn to rebellion. And it's interesting because ingratitude to God often leads to idolatry for the people of Israel. And I think for us today, when we're ungrateful for what God's given us, it often leads us to begin worshiping something that's not God. And, and we, we can continue on as we trace through the scriptures and we see Jesus. And in perhaps the most iconic moment in the scriptures, uh, really the Last Supper, one of the most iconic moments, Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, and he does what with it? He gives thanks. We, we read the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, and what does the Apostle Paul do? But continually tell the churches, the young churches, throughout the Roman Empire to give thanks thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. In all circumstances, in your persecution, give thanks. In your hardship, give thanks. Thanksgiving is a central theme in the Christian scriptures and is truly a central theme in the Christian life. And we are well served by spending some time this morning exploring thanksgiving. Would you stand with me? I want us to read our scripture together today. Pastor Andrew read it already. It's going to be on the screen in a hot second. Psalm 100 is our passage. I'll start us off, but then I want you to carry it. Sound good? Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Grab your seats. Psalm 100 finds itself in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is Israel's hymnal. 
The Psalter, the collection of psalms, guided the corporate worship of the people of Israel. The psalm that we all just recited together has been recited in the worship and service of God for over 2,600 years. And your voices just joined the chorus of saints who have gone before you reciting these words, presumably the words of David, in celebration and thanksgiving, recognizing the love, the faithfulness, the sovereignty of God. We're going to go through this piece by piece, but it's important for us to remember that as we go to the Psalms, we recognize that, that these are the songs of the people of Israel as they declare God's goodness, declare God's faithfulness. Believe it or not, Psalm 100 is not written to you. Psalm 100, the, the original author never had you in mind when Psalm 100 was being written. But central to the Christian belief about the scriptures is that while the Psalms may not be written to you, while the prophets may not be written to you, while those New Testament letters may not be written to you, they are surely for you. Our belief is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit inspired the authors of this text, that this text doesn't just say Bible or scriptures on it, it says Holy Bible or Holy Scriptures, because we believe that God was at work in the writing of these texts and that God is at work in the reading of these texts today. A simple, central doctrine to what we believe as followers of Christ. And so as we read Psalm 100, we recognize that that is not, you know, I am not, you know, in the 6th century BC in the temple in Jerusalem uh, worshiping God, but I surely am here and that this word is for me and it is right and good for you to participate in the reading of this word this morning as the psalmist gives us words to celebrate, to declare the glory of God. The scripture is inspired and we approach it as such. In Psalm 100, we receive a number of things. We receive seven instructions and we... Nice. <laughs> we receive... <laughs> oh, yeah! Woo! Okay. We receive seven instructions in Psalm 100 and we receive two reasons why we follow those instructions. So... Let's start in verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Shout for joy to the Lord. Where are my happy people at? Where are my happy people at? Yeah, right there. Come on, in the back, let's go. Where are my happy, loud people at? Yeah, yeah that's right. Okay, I'm feeling that energy right now. Shout for joy to the Lord. I think we lose this. Where am I? Where am I, like, really uncomfortable with being called out people at and very quiet and introverted people? Can you put up? Can, can, right there? I see you. I see you. I won't call you out, but I see you. The psalmist tells us to use our voices. Shout for joy. Shout for joy. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. I mean, you happy loud people are the shower singers because there's never a sad song that's ever been sung in a shower, you know? It is happy, exuberance, joyful. And this is what the psalmist is saying. Take a moment and use your voice to proclaim the goodness of God. Shout for joy to who? To the Lord. And then the psalmist adds this line, all the earth. 
This, all the earth is really interesting because we'd think if this is the hymnal of Israel, that the psalmist might say, shout for joy, O Israel. And the psalmist surely says that at other points, but the psalmist says, shout for joy, all the earth. And I think this is important because I think there's a lot of confusion about the Old Testament and how it fits into our life today. Because oftentimes we look at God through our modern lens and we see God who's, you know, he's rather ethnocentric. He's chosen a people and those are his only people. And everybody else was kind of like damned, I guess, right? It was like, ah, it's only the people of Israel. And, and from our modern sensibility, that rather confronts us. And we don't really like the God of the Old Testament. But it's interesting that the psalmist says here, shout for joy all the earth, all ye lands, all the nations. The psalmist here is saying that to sing the praise and glory of God, yes, the God of Israel, is not something that's limited to the people of Israel, that anybody can proclaim the goodness of God, that everyone is invited, as we'll see in a moment, to celebrate God's goodness. And this is really important for us when we trace back why God chose a people in the Old Testament. Why did God choose a people? I mean, in God's grand, grand narrative of redemption history, the work that he's been doing throughout society for the last, since existence, he chooses a people, and he, he chooses a guy named Abraham, so that that man, that nation, may be a blessing to the nations. God says, I have a plan, and I'm going to enact this plan through you. And if you're faithful to the plan that I have, you will be a blessing to everyone. We got to start small, and here is where we're starting, is exactly what God says. And I mean, we see the troubles as we go through the Old Testament, that, you know, we're going to start small with this group of people, but this group of people has a really, really, really hard time holding to what God has called them to, and there's all sorts of consequences that flow from that. But from this group of people comes Jesus. And when the psalmist says, shout for joy, all the earth, there is this vision of every corner of the globe shouting for joy, rising up with their voices, Declaring the goodness of God. Shout for joy, all the earth. The central, or one of our family values here at Soul Sanctuary is that we believe that the message of Jesus is for everyone. Doesn't matter how storied your past is. Okay, cool story about storied pasts. <laughs> uh, Pastor Jerry texted me a photo this morning, and it was a group photo of me and him. Uh, we had been in Ukraine in, I think, like 2017 or 2018. And then there was a whole group of prisoners that we had been, you know, asked to come speak to. And I tell you that, that, that my experience in that Ukrainian prison is, is like hands down one of the most, I'll just say scarring experiences. And I didn't even live there. I visited there because it was crazy what we experienced. Pastor Jerry texted me a photo this morning of that photo of us with this group of prisoners that we had ministered to. And then a photo of him with one of those prisoners from 2017 who became a follower of Christ and is now involved in the local church that we support in Ukraine. I thought, like, what a cool story of redemption, and I can't wait to hear it. Um, yeah, 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 show for joy, what's up? But we believe that the message of Jesus is for everyone. It's one of our family values. It doesn't matter what your past is, how storied your past is. It doesn't matter where you come from, what region you're born in. That the message of Jesus is for you. That he came to find you. And that in responding to him, your whole life may just be turned 
upside down for the good. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Worship the Lord with gladness. Your Bible translation may say, serve the Lord with gladness. The the idea that the psalmist is trying to convey here is that worship is an action, that your whole life lived as oriented to the Lord in every single thing that you do and say is an act of worship. Serve the Lord. It's like this, be a happy servant of God. Be a happy servant of God is a pretty easy way of putting it that we may understand. Worship the Lord with gladness. Be a happy servant of God. What, is, what does God tell you to do? Now go do it. And now go do it with contentment. Worship the Lord with gladness. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in, in the New Testament in his letter to the, book, uh, in his letter to the church in Col- uh, the, the book of Colossians, his letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it under Christ. It's the same theme that we find in the book of Psalms. Your whole life should be oriented towards the Lord as an act of joy and thanksgiving. We continue on. Come before him with joyful songs. That word to come before him. Come. It's an invitation. And interesting, it's an invitation to the whole earth. Go back to verse 1. Who's the psalm addressed to? It's addressed to everyone. Come before him. Come into his presence. His awe-inspiring presence. When we consider entering into the presence of God, from, and we consider it in, in, in its Old Testament framework, we recognize that the presence of God is beautifully terrifying. And the psalmist here says, Come, come. The doors are open. There's a warmth. There's a relationality that exists in the psalmist's words. Come before him with joyful songs. Verse 3, know that the Lord is God. This is a truth claim. Know that the Lord is God. The word that we translate as Lord is the divine name. It's Yahweh. That, and it, it, it only applies to one God, the God of Israel. Know that that Lord is God. In the ancient Near East, there are scores of gods. There are scores of gods. In fact, we read right throughout the scripture. I was in a class this week in the book of Jeremiah. So uh, d- doing lectures and studying in the book of Jeremiah. And at one point, I'm a new dad. So when you talk about kids, you know, it gets me in the feels. Uh, there's one point where the people of Israel turn to sacrificing their children in the book of Jeremiah to, to this false idol. And, and it, it's horrific when you hear the account. And God says to them, like, what are you doing? I have not commanded you to do that. Remember, we're in a covenant relationship together. I have not commanded you to do that. And in fact, it never, this is wild, God says through Jeremiah, it never even entered my mind. Like, what what kind of perverse people are you that you've turned from me, Jeremiah says. When we consider this statement, know that the Lord is God, it's the ultimate truth claim. Is that sacrificing your kids to that God? No. And, and for us today, in, in a, a secular land, to know that the Lord is God 
is to recognize that there is someone, God, sovereign over all of this, over your whole life, over my whole life, that there's someone who created all of this, that us rolling on, you know, the way that your body's composed and the fact that it works, like that, that's intentional. That's a part of recognizing that the Lord is God for us today, that there are no other gods except for him. Yet we also see in the teachings of Jesus that mere knowledge of this fact is not enough. Jesus has his harshest words of rebuke and judgment for the religious leaders who know that the Lord is God, but have not allowed it to impact their hands and feet. They have the knowledge, but they don't have the practice. And so when the psalmist says, know that the Lord is God, it is absolutely a true claim about God's sovereignty, but it is also hung together in Psalm 100, which has a lot of instructions for action. To be a happy servant of the Lord. To shout for joy to the Lord. And then we get, in verse 3b, we get our first reason. The psalmist gives us our first reason. He says, it is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We were created by him. And we belong to him. And our identity is fixed in him. The psalmist reminds us. That who we are is because of him, creation. And who we continue to be is fixed in him, is rooted in him. Your primary identity markers are the fact that you are created by God. That you serve God. That you love God. And that you belong to God. Because in belonging to him, we are the sheep of his pasture. Remember back into this summer when we preached through the book of Mark chapter 6. And while we're in the book of Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus, it's this, this miracle moment of Jesus feeding 5,000. But if you recall, Mark doesn't spend much time, in fact any time, talking about the actual miracle. But rather what he does is he spends his whole time crafting the identity of Jesus for the reader. Who is Jesus is the question that's, kept, that's continually being asked. And what, what Mark does for us is he paints Jesus as a shepherd. He continually references back to Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Uh, he makes me lie down. The, Mark continually draws these moments, and, and Jesus sits everyone down by the water. And Mark tells us that very explicit detail. And then Mark tells us that Jesus sits everyone down in the green grass, hearkening back to the green pastures of Psalm 23. This, this image of the Lord as our shepherd, ensuring that we are cared for. Fundamentally, it's what a shepherd does. Keep the sheep alive. That's what you do. The investment here is the image given for God, that he sustains us, that he makes sure that we have something to drink. He makes sure that we have something to eat. He protects us from the predators. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The temple of, of Solomon, uh, which sat in Jerusalem, was destroyed in like 597 by the Babylonians as they had come into Jerusalem and raised the city. But that temple, we know what it looked like. We know what that temple looks like. You can Google image it and you can find the layout, the map of the temple. And, and just like in Investors Group Field, hold on, we'll get there. There's a lot of gates. There's different gates. You can enter these different gates. 
And then on the inside, there's different areas to hang out or to worship, dependent on kind of who you are and where you fit in the worship of God. There are these courts. And the psalmist here says, enter, come into the gates, come into the courts. It's, a, it's another language. And when you consider that it's addressed to all the earth, the magnitude of this is huge. It says, everybody, enter the gates, come into the courts, come into the presence of the Lord. Engage with the presence of the living God. And do it unrestricted. The, the, the gates are open. Move freely through the courts. Enter. Verse 4b. Give thanks to him. And praise his name. Giving thanks to him and praising his name. In action, give thanks. Bring your offering. Bring your sacrifice. Present it before him, give thanks, and praise. With your voice declare, with your voice declare God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's sovereignty. In word and in deed, in everything that you do. It's a whole life of devotion. The psalmist is getting at, it's a whole life of devotion. There's no halfway in, halfway out. That if you've said yes to God, then this is what it looks like. And then finally in verse 5, the psalmist gives us reason number 2. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. He's good, his love endures forever, and so does his faithfulness. This it, this is who our God is. So when we look to Psalm 100, and we ask the question, how do we give thanks? How do we give thanks to God? Thanksgiving being a central theme of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. How do we give thanks to God? Well, the psalm tells us, shout for joy. Worship, serve the Lord. Come before him. Know that he is God. Enter into his gates, give thanks to him, praise him. Seven instructions for you today on how to worship the Lord. Now, why? Why? Two reasons. Two reasons the psalmist gives us. The first one is this. Because of who God is. Because of who God is. God is God. God is God. Think about it. All reality is God's reality. And your story fits within it. God is God is a claim of absolute truth. It's a claim of God's absolute sovereignty over his creation. To say God is God, I mean, it sounds rather redundant, but he is the only God. To, to know him is to cast off all other gods or anything else that may take the place of God in your life. Idolatry goes. Nothing takes the place of God in my life if I recognize that God is God. Why do we give thanks? 
because of who God is. And God is God. He has set the universe in motion. He has knit you together in your mother's womb. Why else? Because God is good and his love endures forever. God is inherently good. And all good things like pumpkin pie and stovetop stuffing flow from him. God is inherently good. I can't, I mean, I told the story of, of, of Israel sacrificing their children, but I can't state how revolutionary it is to say, or I can't state enough how revolutionary it is to say that God is good. Throughout human history, y'all, the gods have not been good. You know, anyone who's read a little Greek and Roman tragedy, you know that the gods are not good. But our God is fundamentally, in his character, good. And all good comes from him. And it's important to know then that this is why we give him thanks. It's important for me to recognize that he is worthy of my thanks. He is worthy of my service. That he is worthy of everything I can give him because of who he is. God is God. God is good. And his love and faithfulness endure forever. God is a God of covenant. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Where he says, hey, we're going to enter into a relationship. And the best way I heard covenant understood is this. In a business contract, you and I enter into an agreement. And in that agreement, if you fail to uphold your side, I'm not paying you. And if I don't pay you, you don't have to hold up, uphold your side. That's a contract. In God's covenants with humanity, we see this. We see a, a communal entering into relationship with one another. And God gives instructions to his people and says, if you're faithful to my instructions, here's how it goes. And if you're unfaithful to my instructions, here's how it goes. But in business, when, that con when something doesn't work out the way that we planned it in the contract, we part ways. We separate. And God says, no, you're, I'm bound by this covenant just as much as you're bound by this covenant. And I will continue to pursue you even if you're not faithful to me. I mean, again, I referenced the, the book of Jeremiah because that's where I was all week. The people have forsaken their God. They're sacrificing their babies to other gods. Like, and what does God say? There'll be judgment for your actions, surely. But I'm not done with you. I'm not giving up on you. That there is hope. The book of Jeremiah resolves in hope. It, it resolves in God saying, you could be so far away from me, but you're not far enough away that I can't get you. In like the good sense. <laughs> you're not beyond the bounds of my love. And you're not beyond the bounds of my faithfulness. This is what the psalmist tells us. God is good. God is God. His love and faithfulness endure forever. We see the covenant-making God enter into covenant with all of us through the blood of Jesus Christ. What you may be familiar with the term new covenant. That in Jesus, 
We are in relationship with God. Through Jesus, the shedding of his blood, we are in relationship with God. That God saw you in your moment of being far away from from him and invited you into a relationship with him through his son and said, I, I... I don't care how storied your past is, there's a future for you. I don't care what region you're born in, there's a future for you. And I invite you into that relationship. I mean, this is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And in fact, I would argue that we see Jesus painted all over Psalm 100. And that, yes, it's, a, it's a, an ancient hymn for the people of Israel in their worship of God. But as we know, Jesus is God, fully man, fully divine. And we can take Psalm 100 and we can sing it and we can proclaim it because Jesus shines through. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Who is the Lord? Jesus Christ. Worship the Lord with gladness. Worship Jesus. Be his servant. His happy, contented servant. Come before him with joyful songs. We sang some joyful songs this morning. Know that Jesus is God. It's he who made us. We are his people, man. He is our good shepherd. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Enter the atrium. While you go get your coffee with a little Thanksgiving on Sunday morning. Enter the sanctuary or gym with praise on your lips. He is faithful forever. His love endures forever. Finally, we praise him because of what he's done for us. I owe him my existence. And if he is who he said he is, the creator of the world... And I choose to recognize that, then I owe him nothing less than everything. My finances, they're his. My time, they're his. It's his. My family is his. Everything I think I own, I give over to him in recognition of who he is and what he's done. Man, he's also given us an identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, In Christ you are a new creation, that the old is done away with, and that the new is here. In Christ. In your conscious choice to say yes to Jesus, to say there's nothing I want more than to recognize. Man, if you're here today and you haven't said yes to Jesus, this is my encouragement for you. In John 10.10, he promises life and life to the full. Doesn't promise me a full bank account. Doesn't promise me no family drama. But what what does he promise me? Life and life to the full in him. He promises promises me an eternity with him. And, and, And even so, to frame it that way is to frame what do I get from Jesus. But everything we've talked about isn't what I get from Jesus. It's what I give. In recognition that he is who he said he is, the creator of the world. The one who saved us from our own sin and our own rebellion and said, in my son, Jesus, there is a way for you to experience right relationship with God, 
right relationship with others, right relationship with creation, and right relationship with yourself. That Jesus gives us a way. We've been forgiven. We've been freed from sin. But church, we focus a lot on being freed from things. But let's remember this. Yes, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are freed from so much. Our old self, like Paul said, is left in the dust. But we are also freed for. We are freed for worship. We are freed for considering the needs of others. We are freed for the purpose of being a glad servant of the Lord. We are freed for so many things. That's the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian is not just somebody who's been freed from and then waits. The life of a Christian is somebody who's been freed from and then freed for and then goes about being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this world, bringing hope and healing into every room that they walk into. We've been freed That said, what is the chief end of humanity? What's the chief end of humanity? Where are my ex-reform people at? You're ex-reform because you're in a Pentecostal church. Where, where are those people at? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The chief end of humanity. This comes from, uh, uh, I say ancient, probably like 500 years old. Catechism. Catechism, think Sunday school, okay? And the way that these catechisms were formed is a question-answer, where the teacher would ask a question and the student would respond with a memorized answer. It's quite a formative way of teaching. And the, the first question of this specific catechism is the Westminster Catechism. Sounds so regal. What is the chief end of humanity? Like, what is your fundamental purpose in life? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God. How do we do that? Psalm 100. To enjoy Him forever. How do we do that? By, glor by glorifying Him. By glorifying Him. By Psalm 100-ing it. Stand with me. We're going to sing a simple chorus together. We're going to sing the common doxology. Here's some history for you, history nerds. The common doxology, the tune, the tune to this, da 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 da, you may be familiar, was written 500 years ago to Psalm 100. That is what that tune was written to. And then 400 years ago, somebody was like, I like Psalm 100, but I like Psalm 134 a little bit more, and changed the, the lyrics to match to Psalm 134. Here's my point. Just like we did join the chorus of the saints for 2,600 years before us as we read Psalm 100, we now join the chorus of the sing saints to melody that's been sung for 500 years in glory of God. Do you guys lead us? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. 
your prayer or your, your praise may not look like jumping exuberantly, shouting for joy. I'd suggest it could one day. Your, your praise may look like this. The chorus of the saints singing praise to the Lord. Can we sing that one more time? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly Father, God our Father, united with all your creation, we sing of your goodness and your faithfulness. And in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have richly blessed us with all that we need for life. By your Spirit, grant us grateful hearts to sing your praise in this world and into the next. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, sanctuary. In times of old, the one giving the blessing would extend hands. Those receiving a blessing would do likewise. If you'd like a blessing, a benediction, a prayer over you as you go, I invite you to extend your hands this morning. Soul Sanctuary, as you go, go shouting for joy, knowing that he created you. Go serving the Lord, knowing that you belong to him. Go proclaiming his lordship knowing that he is sovereign over all. Go spend time in his presence, knowing his love endures forever. Go giving thanks and praising his name, knowing he is good. Go in thanksgiving and go in peace. And we'll see you next week.